Welcome to the world of Rex. I am Marvel A. Rex, and this is my world. It is also your world. In this podcast, we will discuss any and every topic imaginable, from socioeconomic political theory and philosophy to gender clowning to the occult sciences, y'all. It's going to be a wild ride. Strap in. Marvel A. Rex. Well, I am a true Renaissance person. I do a little bit of everything. I am an artist, first and foremost, an actor, a writer, director, producer, philosopher, and yes, a cult practitioner. I am an astrologer of over 15 years. I am a student of the I Ching, and I am experimenting with my human design. And on that note, I deeply hope you enjoy this podcast. Welcome to the world of Rex. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It is Marvel A. Rex here in the studio talking about the energies and themes for April 25th to May 1st, 2022. I'm calling it Sex, Death, and Eclipses. We're going to try to go over all of those things. Another note that I made was we are in the belly of the dream dragon. Just sit with that one for a moment. (laughs) Okay, so we are hitting a really hot point of the year. I've been talking about this ad nauseum in the last couple episodes, so feel free to take a peek for that repetition. But we're here again to talk about the intensity that is April 25th to about end of May. So again, we're really kind of in a month and change time where things are going to feel really hardcore. Belly of the dragon. Like, think about that for a minute. I'm taking this from uh, ideas around Vedic astrology, which is uh, not actually Western or or Europeanized astrology. It's really uh, lunar, very feminine, very... um, I mean, it's an ancient form of astrology that is quite different than what we call pop culture astrology here in the United States. And when they talk about change points... During the year, which happen every year, there are major change and pivot points. They often talk about the head and tail of a dragon, symbolizing the nodes of the moon. I'm not going to go too deep into that, but I just want you to imagine and think and contemplate the idea of being in the belly of a dragon. It's a dark space, right? And all of a sudden, you're also like literally being eaten, right? (laughs) You are something that is inside of a larger creature that has opened its mouth up and you have crawled inside. So the idea of being in the belly of the dragon, which is active between April 30th and May 15th, means that the light is obscured. You are in a dark cavernous space, almost like Plato's cave or something like that. And this is a dreamy dragon because there's so much dreamy energy, rose-colored tinted glasses energy. So not only are you obfuscated in a space that you can't quite see clearly, But you also maybe have like idealistic visions about it or like it feels really like heightened or even psychedelic or you're like, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. It's all really big. And it it may be expansive in a positive sense. You know, the confusion may be expansive in a positive sense, like, oh, there's so many options or the options feel big. Or it can also feel, I mean, just to speak to some of you clearly who may be struggling right now, it can also feel like you're in the dark, in the belly of the dragon 
And there's a little bit of paranoia or anxiety, which is the kind of shadow side of the dreamy quality that we have available. There can definitely be paranoia. So I just want to speak to all of the, the, the textures of what this could manifest as. And then I'm going to give some practical advice on how to deal with this moment of like incredible change. And then we have a guest on, Anastasia Barada, and we're going to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is death. And then we're going to have another conversation with her soon about sex and death. So we're like right on time for the topics of this period of time of the year. So it's okay to be confused at this moment, uh, but don't lose your integrity. That's the really big one. So how do you not lose your integrity when you're potentially inside the belly of a dragon and it's really dreamy or really psychedelic? Well, you do a few things that are very typical of this archetypal energy of the moment, which is Taurus, which is slow, right? So if you take things slowly and and don't necessarily believe all of the things that are happening, but, you know, and I'm not trying to, like, internally gaslight anyone. It's not like don't believe yourself. Just know that there is, there. it would be more efficient to have a suspension of full total belief at this moment and rather just a curiosity about what's going on instead of being like, oh, I wholesale believe this. This is what it is. I see it. This juncture starting this week, really ramping up this week and really being like highlighted on the 30th of April is offering us a lot of different options, some of which will be forced options, but the reality of how they will land a couple months from now is different than they how they are appearing now. So if you know that and take your time with that, it will be easier to understand what is real and what is not uh, after all the dust has settled, which will be, again, just to help you all out, like June, even mid-June. I'm kind of giving myself until mid-June to be like, okay, so what happened between April 30th and May 16th specifically? That's the belly of the dragon. So unexpected news can crop up around this time. We have an incredibly powerful like what I call a quantum energy that's in place that's like shooting in chaos and entropy chaos can be great I'm just gonna put that out there like chaos can be really good it sometimes is awesome to have things shook up and it helps us expand on a soul level to be more flexible in times of change so I'm not looking at it like a bad thing I'm just like be flexible Okay, especially if you're born or have sensitive points or planets between April 20th and May 20th or October 20th and November 20th. So for all of you, just clearly, this is Taurus and Scorpio. Okay, I'm speaking to the astrology here. Um, from a human design perspective, it would be any of the gates associated with the signs of Taurus and Scorpio. Also, Leos and Aquariuses are going to be feeling this super heavy as well. I do want to at the fundaments say, though, that this affects everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a Taurus or a Scorpio, Leo or an Aquarius. This is going to affect everyone in some area of their life, but those four signs are really going to feel a major push. Major push in some area of their life. Again, if you want to know how that's specifically hitting you in a very detailed manner, I'm a great person to come to. Just reach out to me. We can do a reading, and I can tell you the like precise themes and, and some timelines. Okay, so... The energy that's occurring that really starts, actually, we enter the belly of the dragon on April 30th, which is a Saturday. This energy is, is about, it's a very fated time. So again, I've talked about destiny. The, the hands of and arms of fate will come in and move you, and they will show you how little control you have as a human little ego being. 
it's the energy of an obscuration of light, which also means a death of perception. A way that you perceive things will die and be reborn anew around this time. So this is happening collectively, and it will definitely be happening collectively around ideas of earthly resources, money, financial systems, oil, real estate, and long-term goals surrounding sustainability, sustainability of the planet. You know, it's Earth Day this week. Um, that is, There's no irony there to me. There's, the irony's not lost on that for me. Um, so it's, it's a juicy time. It's about, like, what can actually sustain the future. Um, so a lot of change points for us in the belly of the dragon during this period between the 30th of April and May 16th is going to be about releasing things in our life that are not, not long-term sustainable. Um, and a lot of it has to do with just how we take care of our physical body, because there's a lot of sensual five senses energy present right now. How are we taking care of our body and how are we taking care of our body so that we can show up psychically towards our dreams, but also towards our community. And I mean, psychically, you know, emotionally, uh, psychologically, how can we really show up in a way that's respectful, kind, and community building? Ultimately, it begins with the body. I want to share a dream that I had. It's so, the timing was just way too, way too synchronistic. I was doing a lot of study around the energy of this week, the week of April 18th to the, to the 1st of May, and I had a dream after doing all this studying, it was like the night after I'd really looked at all the energies. And I had a dream that pomegranates were falling from the sky. <laughs> uh, you know, my partner in, in our garden, um, we grow a lot of different things, but she grows uh, three different varietals of pomegranate. And they're all like really beautiful. One's like a dark, deep dark red. The other one's sort of like a champagne pink. And then the other one's like really, really sweet, light, almost like a, almost an ivory pomegranate and it's incredible in October they just like they hang so heavy from the tree <laughs> like I just don't even know how the tree holds them up I mean I'm talking hundreds of pomegranates it's so intense uh, and she loves them it's her favorite time of the year so you know pomegranates falling from the sky it's not an easy or a light situation it wasn't like a great dream where I was like yeah like oh there's great it's like they're heavy they're like heavier than a softball or a baseball it's like they're full of juice. And when they land, they they burst blood, basically. So <laughs> and yet they're delicious, right? And they're like a sacred they're actually like a sacred fruit. So and you know, I follow the astrology, so they're also associated directly with Venus, the planet, but also the myth the mythology of Venus, um, Roman mythology and then Aphrodite in in the Greek mythology. Um, so <laughs> this was a very a prescient dream. Why? Well, there's a lot of potential in a pomegranate. It's also falling from the sky. So there's an element with that interpretation where it's like, you have, this is going to happen no matter what, you know, like this is an important part of the energy is that things falling from the sky mean they are inevitable. So there's an inevitability of the pomegranate. So what does the pomegranate symbolize? Well, it is a heavy, potentially violent object if it's falling from the sky without it being opened up. But if you let the things rain down and then find it, open it up, what is inside the pomegranate? Well, the pomegranate is a symbolic fruit. It signifies beauty, love, marriage, fertility, birth, rebirth, hope, and prosperity. Okay, these are all the themes I just spoke about truthfully. It's like, what is the long term? It's not short term game. It's like, what is the long term? 
And also the belly of the dragon offers rebirth through a death, through the obscuration of light. The pomegranate is also associated with the underworld and the mysteries of death, conception, and rebirth of life, which we were about to talk about with Anastasia, so this is perfect timing that I had this dream. The seeds of the pomegranate and blood-colored flesh are emblematic of this eternal renewal of the life of the world, in which the human initiate must also participate. So we are being asked, just on a symbolic level, that the pomegranate says, you know, you have to let yourself die and be reborn throughout life. And you have to participate in that dying and rebirthing. So there is an element right now, just as I think about this dream, where I'm like, okay, I inevitably, these pomegranates are falling and hitting me, right? I inevitably have to participate in a death and renewal process right now. That's exciting. Also a little painful, right? You know, falling from the sky, painful. In a psychological sense, pomegranates represent the bitter depths and majestic forces of the unconscious that we encounter when we take in the fertile seeds of the self. And often culling, the culling or opening the pomegranate is a mess. It's a bloody mess. Welcome to this time of the year, y'all. Like this is going to be a fertile, deep feeling and release oriented process that ultimately will give us like really delicious fruit. But the process itself can be slow, bloody and messy. (laughs) So um, I'm going to finish this with a quote from Denzel Washington. (laughs) This is how I, you know, welcome to Marvel's uh, gathering of information and um, occult knowing. This is how I come to know things. So Denzel Washington, he has a quote. Denzel says, imagine you're on your deathbed and standing around your bed are the ghosts representing your unfilled potential. The ghosts of the ideas you never acted on or were too scared to act on. The ghosts of the talents you didn't use because you got lost or you chose to be lost. And they're standing around your bed, angry, disappointed, upset. We came to you because you could have brought us life, they say. And now we go to the grave together. So I ask you today, how many ghosts are going to be around your bed when your time comes? You invested a lot in your life, and people invested in you. And let me tell you, the world needs your talents. So, you know, something to think about. Um, it can, you know, I'm, I'm writing the line of, like, corny uh, motivational speech here, but it this is a really important time to say okay how can I like literally live the deepest form of presence in my life and give back to my community through honoring who I am and and really being in my body and choosing to be in my body even when we're in like a very psychedelic time reality is going to feel really fuzzy especially between April 30th and May 15th May 16th Now, some advice for Saturday, which is uh, Saturday to me is the really big day. The the week itself is quite, to me, mellow heading in to the eclipse, um, which is a new moon on Saturday. So really be really present on Saturday and be like be a detective in your life. Like, what are you going to be doing on Saturday? This is a big day. Some people say not to do ritual on eclipses. And then there's entire cultures who do massive rituals on eclipses. So you know what? (laughs) Go with what feels good for you. But advice that I have through a different form of study that's actually not astrology is um, aloneness and or silence. So finding a time to be alone and or silent on Saturday, April 30th. The reason this sounds really simple, but the reason that this is powerful is that there will be a huge pressure building and potentially beginning on April 30th to solve a problem. 
And I'm going to be really clear. This is not the week or really the month to solve a problem or to try to figure out a detailed scheme or answer to a problem. Let the pomegranates fall, feel into how to shell them slowly, and wait until June or later to really see which pomegranates are real and which pomegranates are an illusion, (laughs) right? Like I'm using this a metaphor, but I'm like, let them fall. The harvest isn't ready. Like we're not, this is the first act of like a really big change point. And, and to say, oh yeah, I know what's real. I got it. There's going to be a pressure. And the reason there's going to be a pressure is when the light is obscured during an eclipse, which is what happens during an eclipse, the light is obscured. Our, our physical human flesh sack embodiment gets freaked out. Even on just a psychosomatic level, we get a little bit shocked. There's a shock to the system. And so what happens when we have a physiological shock? Well, often there's a little bit of dysregulation and we want to figure out what's going on. Like, why do I feel this way? You could even feel really good, but it's like, okay, now I got to solve something. So there's a little bit of mania that is tied in here potentially. And so to know that and to have consciousness over the potentiality of that can be very helpful during this time. So aloneness and or silence on Saturday, April 30th is like my biggest piece of advice. Taking time out to go on like a walking meditation, to do a sitting meditation, to, uh, you know, I love to just go on a hike and not bring my phone and really just go out and be with and look at the trees and um, yeah, be with the animals. Just keep it really, really simple. This is a great month for simplicity, by the way. So if you're deciding to make things more complicated, take note. And be like, oh, I don't actually, do I have to do that? Do I have to make it more complicated? Great question to ask yourself. A lot of people around you, and I just want to say this clearly, to the people who are listening to this podcast, amazing. You know, and if you're listening to other consciousness, uh, you know, raising or consciousness focused podcasts, that's awesome. You're kind of a, a little bit ahead of the game because a lot of people during eclipses between the 30th of April and May 16th will be like a chicken with their head cut off. That's the kind of energy that often happens. Again, people are dysregulated. Their lives are changing. Their lives are changing unexpectedly. They're having to make decisions. They're not realizing that there is like a fruit at the end of this journey. They're just thinking, they're just seeing the bloody mess. They're caught in the weeds. Like this all can happen. And so, you know, it's important for you as someone who's invested and and dedicated to leading a a less chaotic life, you can find your Zen right now through silence, through meditation, through going on a walk, and definitely through spending time in nature. That's going to be the biggest medicine right now. And really actually taking time out of a day, because things can happen really quickly during this period of time, but actually setting boundaries with yourself and being like, no, this is my moment where I'm going to take a 45-minute walk, or this is my moment where I'm going to go to the ocean. And I just really have to prioritize. It's it, it's more important to prioritize it now during this part of the year. And again, October 20th to May, to uh, November 20th than any other time of the year. This is the most important time because the belly of the dragon is not a joke. <laughs> so uh, the other wisdom of this energy, and it goes back to the silence part, is that transform transformation during the belly of the dragon time can only happen and can only take place in isolation. Now, I know that that's really potentially hard to hear because we were just, you know, in a forced two and a half year isolation, but just take some time during the day to take yourself away from it all if you can, and just take some time to be with whatever you're feeling and to do a self-check-in. 
uh, there's a lot of power. There's a lot of like very simple ritual power in that on Saturday. Even if it's just in the morning, taking some time in the quiet of the morning on Saturday. Um, yeah, there's a pressure to like sit, figure out a mystery and there's a, a pulse between knowing and not knowing. And there can just be a lot of voices at this time. It's difficult to have a peaceful mind when you don't know. And so you desperately want an answer. The current situation in the world has created opportunities slowed down. So this is like a bit, this is so much this month, by the way, this is a, the process, you know, my partner being like, it takes a long time to open up a pomegranate. You can't bite into a pomegranate like you can an apple. And, you know, pomegranate's her favorite fruit. So she's like, take it slow. This is the pomegranate. Take it really slow. Be quiet. Be silent. This energy is also super nonverbal. So it's slow. It's nonverbal. It's methodical. That's the advice I can give to you. All of those things. Like, inhabit them. Inhabit the slowness. Even if you're like a triple Gemini and you want to just tuck, 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 and gossip, 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 and like solve the problem and figure it out. Do the slow. Do the slow and the deep and and also be okay feeling the mess of the blood around your hands. I want to offer another thing. Richard Rudd, who's uh, in some ways a teacher of mine, incredible, incredible mystic, talks about contemplation as an act of quantum thought. So Richard Rudd has, talks a lot about this. He has a great book called Gene Keys that I love, uh, which is sort of a, a tertiary understanding of human design and or you know an evolutionized i don't know what it is it's like it's a quantum version it's like even farther than human design it's amazing uh he talks about contemplation like the idea of holding a thought or a concept in your psychic space without trying to mentally unravel it so it's not like western science's analytical okay let's break the problem down into little bits and like figure it out and compartmentalize it no contemplation is extremely feminine it basically saying oh, I have a problem in my life. Like, let me give an example. Let's say that I have a relationship right now that I don't quite understand in my life. And maybe I've had an argument with this person. And it's like, whoa, I've had an argument. Oh, like it feels tense. I feel like I need to make a choice during the belly of the dragon. Like I've got to figure this out, especially right around the new moon. I, I need to figure it out for, for the longevity of my life. Like if the stakes are so high. And instead of trying to figure it out, quote unquote, Richard Rudd, Richard Rudd's understanding of contemplation and quantum thought is holding that person and maybe even the conversation you had with them in a kind of cocoon in a psychic space and taking them on a walk like I do this I will take people on a walk with me and what what that means is I will begin the walk no headphones no phone I will begin the walk and I won't rehash the conversation with the person I won't rehash what I think about the person I will remove judgment I will remove feelings as best as I can you know it's not entire but as best as I can and I will just take quote-unquote take the person on a walk with me in a psychic way and just carry them and generally apply a level of like I ask God you know I believe in God I ask God for an amelioration or some sort of answer without trying to figure it out with my brain now, this is not easy to do because we are told in late capitalism, you got to use your brain, you got to figure it out, you got to be the boss, you got to figure it out. And this practice of contemplation or quantum thought is miraculous. So I just want you to experiment with that. It's an idea to experiment. Just take the person on a walk with you, take the situation on a walk with you and apply love to it. Ultimately, you apply love to it when you talk to your guides or when you talk to God. You are just saying, how do I open up? 
and lubricate this com- this conversation or this person, my relationship to this person? How do I see it from a parallaxical or 360 view that my ego literally can't because it's trying to quote unquote solve it? So that's a big part of this energy. Taking it slow, keeping it in a psychic space, contemplating, and uh, being really flexible, being really, really flexible as the pomegranates fall. And know that in every ending, there's a new beginning. And in every new beginning, there is an ending. So there is a big cycle of death surrounding us right now. Um, there has been, obviously, on a collective level since 2020 especially, but it's still very present. We are watching systems break down and be reborn simultaneously, which can make your head spin. And to help us navigate death, I am elated, elated to introduce you to Anastasia Barada. We are going to be talking to her now. Enjoy. I am delighted to introduce Anastasia Barada, aka Witch Wild, they, she. She is a multifaceted queer eighth house witch of mixed European descent that currently resides on Kawia and Kemawavi lands, now known as Joshua Tree, California. As an eighth house witch, Anastasia works in the taboo areas of sexuality as an educator and lifestyle slash professional dominatrix. Her work in the area of rebirth manifests as body whispering and embodied movement practices. And as they move into the autumn of their life, they find themselves called to work for death as a midwife, educator, and advocate for home funerals, rituals, and death literacy. They are director of Sacred Undertaking and co-founder of Queer Death Collective. Anastasia, welcome. You want to say hi? And I cannot wait for this conversation. I'm so excited. Uh, thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you too and um, and share this information with people. It's really, I think it's really important. So thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. How uh, you're in Joshua Tree right now. How's it, how's desert living? You want to share some, some little tidbits about that? Well, I love just living in nature um, with the cycles of life and death, which are a lot more evident than they are in the city. Um, And this is just a really spiritual place. You know, you see the sunrise, the sunset, the moonrise, the moonset and stars up above. And as a witch, just being in the biorhythms has um, really just brings me light inside and I feel much happier and more connected in general so and it's a wonderful community out here um and uh I've been doing death cafes out here that have had really great response and there's a lot of really interesting people who are interested in community death care which is Mm -hmm. a passion of mine I part of why I'm just so excited for this conversation is because as you and I both know, because you are also an astrologer, uh, this, this big, the big theme of 2022 into uh, 2023 has a lot to do with death rebirth. um, And, and also with the U S Pluto return, which we don't need to go deep into at this moment, but there's a lot around Pluto. Pluto literally is Hades, the underworld death, right? So your, your work right now feels so prescient to me just on an energetic level and not, you know, astrology aside, we need death literacy. So I would love for you to explain a little bit about death literacy as a phrase, death work and death cafes for the audience. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, what I want to say first that you're so right about this 
there's like, um, there's really a, a wave, like a zeitgeist happening around death care. Um, you see a lot more death doulas and people talking about death and even shows and whatnot around, you know, death and people, how they're dealing with their grief, their loss, the celebration of life. Um, and then death literacy really is, you know, literacy, it's being educated, educated about, you know, what happens uh, during the dying process, um, what happens after death, um, you know, uh, things about like the rights of mm. the loved ones to mm. the body and person, which is really very little is known by the mass population about what their rights are around their loved ones. Mm. And also just, you know, rituals and ways to make things more meaningful in death, because we have gotten so into these like formal, customized, commercial kinds of practices that often they lose meaning. They don't reflect the person that died. They don't reflect the culture that they're in. They don't reflect the families. And so we walk away, I think, feeling pretty empty, which compounds grief. Um, and so that's really where my education and, and so much of the people that are doing death literacy work. And this is a little bit of a leading question, but are you sort of saying that like capitalism has seeped its way into the death industry in a, in a lot of ways? I mean, what industry, you know, what area of our life has in capitalism, but absolutely. And, okay. um, you know, when we talk a little bit later about the history, we can talk about how that happened, mm. um, but uh, 100% and um, yeah, capitalism. Amazing. Will you share more about what a death cafe is um, at this moment? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, death cafes originated in Switzerland. And then um, there was a man named John Underwood in the UK who took it to a global level. So death cafes are now international and they are a non-commercial, not-for-profit place for people to have a non-scripted or and no agenda in the conversation around death. So <clears throat> what usually happens is someone like me with some education, and I will not call myself an expert because no one could be an expert on death, um, will facilitate these cafes. But it's really it's really like, I don't decide what we're gonna talk about. I just support the conversation and answer any questions that may be out there that don't have questions by the other people. And, and it's not a grief therapy, but people do bring up, you know, lost loved ones and often their experiences of this disempowerment that happens during the death process. Right. And, um, and then, you know, just, yeah, just sharing their experiences, their knowledge. It's wonderful. I'm touched every time. I feel so honored to do them. And, um, and they're just pretty simple that you can find them, you know, they used to just be in person at a cafe. So you'd sit around and have a cup of coffee and talk about death. Oh, um, and then during the pandemic, they went online. And so there are many um, death cafes online that people can access. Mm -hmm. And if you go to deathcafe.org, you can find different death cafes around the world that you can um, attend, given that you speak the language. And, uh, and I've been to many and they're really fascinating and wonderful places. They tend to be mostly older people. Mm. Uh, often I'm one of the younger people in the group at 53 um, <laughs> because, you know, in our culture, people don't really start talking, thinking about death until either they lose a loved one mm. or they're nearing their own death and they right. start to have questions and fears or wanting to find community around it. 
So at a death cafe, you kind of will it will it sort of ricochet from really abstract conceptualizations of death all the way to like someone bringing up a personalized experience of losing someone? Is it is it really just across the spectrum? It really is across the spectrum. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Based Amazing. on the experiences and knowledge um, of the people there. Amazing. And you run one currently that's, is it virtual at this moment or is there in person as well? Um, well, the one that I'm doing, I'm doing one in Joshua Tree and it's in okay. person. It's Amazing. at the Joshua Tree Retreat Center. And they're giving us free space um, and we do it monthly every second Sunday of the month. Uh, but through Sacred Undertaking and Queer Death Collective, we'll have some death online death cafes here and there. We do other events. Uh, we we started, the, the collective started with the cafes and then the cafe has pretty strict regulations like you can't have themes or guests or things like that. And we decided that we wanted to be more specific. Mm. So then we started doing queer death sessions. And, and then we just started doing just live events that didn't really reflect the cafes anymore. Um, and recently I've done two, as you know, on sadomasochistic rights as end of life care. And then the last one I did was um, singing at the threshold songs and chants for death and dying. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so you and I will have another interview about pain, sex, and death, which I'm so excited for kind of bridging SM with the death process and, and death in general, um, which I'm so excited to talk about. And I, on, in this interview, we're going to talk about queerness and death, which, you know, you're mentioning queer death sessions and, and um, we'll talk about that as well. Before we get there, uh, I would love to talk a little bit about perhaps how you arrived at this work um, and also maybe tying in some history of, of uh, death work in general. Absolutely. Um... So, you know, I've always been someone who uh, is unafraid of taboo. Um, and I would say always somewhat interested in death, but like so many people in our culture, you know, it is so on the fringes and it's such a taboo topic to talk about that it wasn't until eight years ago when my dear, dear loved one, who's a cousin of mine, he was like a brother mm -hmm. and he um, had a brain tumor and over a year was in the dying process and then he passed. And during that, I found just, it, there was just, I don't know, there was so many things that I thought, why do we do it like this? What is going on here? Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that jarred me the most was right after he passed, his mother, who I won't say too many disparaging things about, but um, <laughs> about five minutes after he died, she walked outside and called the funeral home to come get his body. Okay. So we had like maybe an hour and a half with his body before they came. Now, you know, some places that might be longer, um, but they came and they just, his body was still warm and they put him in a bag and took him away. And it just did not feel right to me. But at that time, I didn't know. I thought that's what you had to do. Yeah. I thought that was the law, really. You know, I thought once somebody died, their body became a property of the state or something mm. like that, right? Um, so I didn't know that there were options. And then in my grief, I was reading different books and I stumbled upon Stephen Jenkinson, who is a death philosopher that I, you know, can't recommend enough and his book Die Wise. And he really started to help me formulate my own philosophies around this and also really helped 
clarify what was going on and why these things were happening again capitalism and oh, yeah. our fear of death our death phobic culture yeah. and um and then i just knew that i needed to do this work you know i'm an educator i have my degree in education and i just thought uh, people need to know that things can be different now mm. they don't have to be different I don't judge anybody that wants to go along with the conventional ways. I'm an incredibly unconventional person and I'm a highly spiritual person. So I want something different for myself and for those around me that want something different. Yes. And so um, I decided that I wanted to go into a midwifery program. So in 2019, I started a midwifery program with Sacred Crossings out of LA. And then that continued into 2020 in the pandemic. Mm. And so that kind of changed what I thought was going to happen with that work. And I kind of thought I was- specifically death midwifery, correct? Or is it death midwifery? midwifery. No, it's death, death, death midwifery. midwifery. Just I'm also clarify. a trained, I'm also a trained birth doula, um, but uh, I'm not as interested. <laughs> got the whole cycle covered. I mean, I am a witch after all. I know. That's witch work for sure, right? About you. Yes. Um, but I'm not as interested in births as someone who has never had children myself. And, mm. you know, um, but I did, I did, I was a doula for someone's birth. It was a wonderful thing. Um, mm. But uh, taking people out of this life, I mean, there's so much support around birth. Right? I mean, there's a lot of things that could change around that as well. Um, but there's a lot more support around birth than there is around death. And um, so, yeah, so I went into the midwifery program thinking I was going to become a doula um, because that's kind of the only thing I really understood that you could do at that time, you know, which is uh, for those that don't know what a doula does, um, they're like an intermediary between the dying person and the family or the dying person and uh, the medical establishment. Mm. Um, and they also, you know, there's the midwifery is a big umbrella, you know, you could do um, help them with their paperwork, you could help them write letters of love and forgiveness you could let you know many things a legacy project mm. um help them decide what kinds of rituals they want um at the you know end of their life and after they've died um and but a lot of doulas just sit bedside and kind of hold vigil right. maybe do reiki energy work sing songs read books mm. you know just being with the person in ways that can sometimes be hard for the family um, mm. and I realized that I was not someone who was good at sitting bedside. Mm, okay. Um, but what I am really passionate about that falls under the midwifery is home funerals. And I am passionate about having one a for myself and for my loved ones, and also bringing that knowledge to people who also would want a home funeral. What people don't understand is that you have legal rights to the body. And with those legal rights, you can act as your own funeral director in most states. Wow. So say your loved one dies in a hospital, you can legally take that body home from the hospital. Now, the way that things are right now, because we're still in the beginning stages of this kind of reclaiming, um, the hospital may protest. But at Absolutely. the end of the day, that body belongs to you. Right, the legal, It belongs the family. to the to the family or right. the loved one or the, you know, legal guardian of, you know, um, whoever. And, um, and I, and we can, you can keep the body 
at home as long as you want, as long as you keep it cooled. And there are methods of keeping the body cooled that are very simple. Um, and then you can do things like bathe the body and anoint the body. And, and we can talk more about the rituals a little later, but um, talking about um, a little bit of the history of how mm. the home funeral was taken away. So uh, funerals were the norm and are the norm in many parts of the world, right? We're going to talk mostly about American culture here um, because I don't want to speak for the rest of the world because the rest of the world has still, many of them have ancient practices that are still intact. And and in some cases are being eroded by capitalism as so many things. But, Mm -hmm. um, But here in the U.S., up until the 1860s, the home funeral was the norm. And many people know of the parlor room. Well, the parlor room was usually the room that was created so that one would have funerals there. That's wow. where the home funeral would happen. I did not the parlor. know that. Interesting. Super interesting. Yeah. So, um, and then the civil war happened. And during the Civil War, there were so many casualties. And um, this is when the embalming practice started, because they would embalm the bodies so that they could ship them home to the families. Mm. And um, casket making became a business because there were so many caskets that were necessary and the deaths became so quickly and suddenly. um, And so that, that was really the beginning. So it didn't have nefarious beginnings as so many things that happen you know in our culture like the beginnings of things are often like you know practical or um you know with some level of care but um then as people started realizing they could make money off of this oh, yeah. um by the by the 1940s um there was a whole industry around it and then this industry as many do because they want to make money started these sorts of ideas that the body was diseased or it was unhealthy to take care of your own loved one or um that you just don't want to do that you know it's it's unpleasant and you know granted there are some probably unpleasant things that happen uh you know post death but maybe dealing with some of those things are things that we need to learn to deal with and make us more resilient or more thoughtful and and um so you know fast forward to today um we outsource everything and you know even what used to be like family funeral um business right Mm -hmm. has now grown into corporate and so your loved one will be taken by them and it's not being lovingly cared for by one person like maybe it was in the 40s and 50s Mm. but they are now being taken from one place to be disinfected and the next place to be embalmed and the next place to be dressed and you know put makeup on so they look alive which is also a very strange practice that we do um and uh and so you know your loved ones just being like carted around to people that you know, it's a big business. They don't care about your loved one. You know, how they handle them is different, right? Some are maybe are more caring than others, but as a general rule, it becomes a factory situation. It sounds, I mean, this is just typical late capitalism in the U.S., but it just sounds so disconnected from any form of uh, understanding that the body itself, I mean, there's ideas, and this is also 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 Christianity coming in really big time as a US, as the US's uh, de facto religion. Um, but there's just such a big disconnect between the the aura of the body because there's so many different places in the world that are like, look, the body is alive for a while, even post-death. And I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. I'm just saying that 
again, it's just it has become as you as you've described so clinical and so removed from any form of spirituality. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, and people will have their you know spiritual um, celebrations, and even those have become, I think, a little formalized in a way that don't feel very personal. Mm. Um, but but absolutely. I mean, you know, granted, again, if you're a Muslim, if you're an Orthodox Jewish person, yeah. you know, these marginal communities have been able to maintain some of their practices. Yeah. Um, and, and, and hold on to these um, deeper ideas. But yes, in, indeed, what we're talking about is sort of the non-spiritual Americans or the kind of yeah. Christian Americans. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is the case. So it becomes sort of like this rote practice of like, oh, okay. They, it, to me, it, it feels a little bit, and again, I'm generalizing here, but it feels a little bit like, oh, this, per this family member died. Let's quickly get them off our hands and let someone else take care of it, which feels a lot like how we dispose of trash in the US. Like, oh, it's not our problem. It ends up in a dump. Someone else will take care of it. Um, and that to me, it, this is part of the, your work is like, how do we actually connect that disconnection that happened? How do we- Yeah, and I- I, I, and I think a lot of it is education. People don't know how to do it. They don't know what to do anymore. We've lost these ideas. Mm. They're not lost for good, um, but people just don't know what to do. So they right. outsource, right? right? And, you know, we're so busy and blah, blah, blah. It feels like too much mm -hmm. um, to do. And often the other problem is, is that when people die, they have not made a death plan. They haven't taken care of business. So the family actually gets burdened often with, right. you know, dealing with their hoarder house or all of the documents they didn't deal with or mm. trying to cipher a will or, you know, so, um, you know, so it can be overwhelming, which is, again, this is where people like me can come in and, um, you know, I don't want to do the funeral for people per se. I want to support them and, you know, produce it for them in a way where I employ them in different ways, in ways that make sense for the family. Right. Um, or if they are very hands-on people, just teach them what they can do all on their own. And then I don't need to be there at all. Wow. Um, so just really depending on, you know, the, the resourcefulness or the capacity of the family or loved ones to care for their own. Um, but, you know, so, you know, I don't, I, I think that it's important to note that, you know, it really is just, I didn't know what to do until right. a few years ago. Um, and I'm grateful to know now, but, um, but most of us don't. And most people are very shocked to know that you can take your loved ones home and have a home funeral when I tell wow. them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so would you call yourself a, it's not, you're not a funeral director. Like what is the name in this or, or is that the name? Like, what do you call yourself in that capacity when you're um, working with a family? I would call myself a home funeral facilitator or educator. Great. It's actually illegal to call yourself a home funeral guide. Um, okay. And, um, but really what I want to be as a facilitator and educator anyway, and, you know, again, put it in the hands of the family as much as they are willing to, to do Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, I know from my own experience that doing those meaningful rituals and um, in celebrating the person in a way that really reflects who they are mm. is so it's it's like it it lifts the burden of grief to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, and you feel like you have done something meaningful for yes. them. And it just shifts the whole way that people feel about the experience. 
I think you're right. I think maybe on a subconscious level, people understand that it's kind of like they threw out the trash. Yeah. And, you know, even though they might not be able to articulate that, they feel something. And that, again, compounds the grief or puts them in a denial or, you know, some sort of bin that is around this lack of connection and, mm. you know, meaning. And one thing that you and I have come together in our relationship over is ritual. You and I have done a ton of ritual together, and I'm grateful for every single experience. Sure. Um, and I think part of what this energy is this year that's so, I mean, it's its always, its this energy is always, but it's especially highlighted this year, which is the energy of like somatic ritual grounding um, life and loss. And mm. somatic rituals being like, this is what I think happens is the feeling of throwing out the trash when someone dies is because you, you were not in your body with mm. the body. You were not in your body with the body. It became this like uh, the way that the way that late capitalism is, which is just so, so, so cerebral, so disinfected, so analytical, um, compartmentalized. And the work that I keep bringing back to this podcast is like, y'all, we have to do ritual. Our, our, our collective, especially the U.S. right now with the Pluto return, needs ritual, needs to be embodied. And to what I hear you speaking is like, look, I'm guiding a family to have an embodied experience with a body that may have an, uh, you know, there may be a spirit there and an aura there, which some cultures believe there may not. But regardless, you're doing a transmutative ritual with that you're communing at least with the family that you're with and you're processing the the emotions of grief in the body like that's powerful to me absolutely i agree with you 100 percent. i think this you know embodiment element is is really important and and that's hard for a lot of people i mean again capitalism teaches us to dissociate right yeah. um to hate our body to think our body isn't good enough or you know not even have the again the resources to care for our bodies properly in a way that we can be in our bodies yeah. um you know our medical system our food blah 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 so um absolutely and it is this a sitting with the body for three days. Now, I'm really interested when I'm studying this stuff around things that feel really cross-cultural that, mm. that I see over in different parts of the world. And this three days seems to be a, a very common, you know, factor, right? Um, it's a and, red thread. It's like a red thread. So three days of sitting with the body after it has, three days, after life has passed through it. Okay. That's right. That's right. Three days of sitting with the body. Again, not all cultures, but it is quite cross-cultural. And it is this thing that you're saying, which is be the belief is that there's a subtle body. La the last breath is not the last moment of the body mm. and that it goes through a process. Now, in terms of for us and our grief, as we sit with the body, we watch it slowly, you know, go into rigor, rigor mortis and change. And it's actually quite beautiful. I mean, most, most bodies as they go into rigor mortis get a nice little smile on their face. And there's a, there's a, there's a, I don't know how to explain it, a gentleness that happens in that space. Again, speaking generally. Um, and it's a way of watching, you know, knowing that your loved one is actually gone now. Whereas if they take them away right away or they die in a hospital and you never see them except until they've been embalmed in a casket and maybe not even then, like it's like we almost are in a disbelief because again, like you're saying this, we have an embodied 
this experience. We haven't touched this dead body, this loved one, kissed it, held its hand, brushed its hair, whatever, you know? Um, And doing those things also reminds us that we have a body that's going to die, right? And then that process makes us hopefully more um, aware of our own mortality and our own body and what a precious gift it is and want to inhabit it and care for it a bit more. To me, yeah. it, it, it really comes down your work. I mean, if I was to encapsulate it in a very broad sense, like your work is about love and very specifically wow. about loving the body. But it, it, there, I mean, I know that sounds just, you know, big hippie woo woo, but it really is about like the, the we can, we only can love from a place of embodiment. Um, it's not from the brain. We're not doing that from the brain so much. It really is deeply like to, if you're in your body, it is easier to love. And I mean, love just as in presence respect you know you start to you start to realize i think there's a humility too that you're speaking to there's a humility of like okay like on an honesty of looking at the fact that we are all going to pass and you know i'm 30 years old like i'm and and i'm I'm in in excellent shape in the most for the most part so i know that i'm not speaking from a place of of feeling the edge although i've had moments of feeling the edge i think some of us have had near-death experiences but for the most part, I'm not in that process and cycle yet, but I, I see people in my life, including my own family who are really grappling with mortality. And it does feel, they feel very often to me, I look at them and I'm like, wow, they feel very, uh, it feels very dis- like a disadvantaged place precisely because they don't have the access to the tools that you are working to bring to the collective. They just feel very much like caught in the wind. Like I'm close to this veil and I don't know what the hell is going on. And I feel really scared, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I think that speaks to our spiritual illness in this culture that's happening. You know, there's a lot of religion, but I don't know how much spirituality is actually there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of fear. And again, if we want to talk a little bit about Christianity, you know, I think that a lot of Christians aren't sure if they're going to heaven or hell. because heaven looks like a really high bar and so most people think they're gonna go to hell and so they're really afraid they're really afraid right and you know I have a very different spiritual perspective so you know at least at this point now if I'm given a terminal diagnosis tomorrow that might shift but um what I'm not, I don't feel afraid to die. I feel mm. like it's going to be a transition, a, mm. a going back to source, uh, a new adventure for my yes. spirit, yes. right? And that I'm grateful for this body, but it has its limitations and my spirit does not. Yes. And, um, and I also believe that because I have a very strong ancestor practice happening mm. and in my ancestor practice, they are with me, not all of them. There's some of them that are way more, energetically with me um certainly my you know dear beloved beloved that died eight years ago is a hundred percent there guiding me teaching me Mm. um supporting me loving me i Mm. feel that love like you're talking about like i feel it i'm not being told it i'm not seeing it i'm not performing it i can feel that they are loving me from beyond and um and that also makes me excited to see them or to reunite and also to become an ancestor myself Mm. right and be there to guide others and um and so these things like i don't know that i'm excited to die i'm not trying to die um but when death comes for me 
my hope is that I will maintain these, you know, feelings. I'm also a heavy meditator. Mm. So I meditate every day, morning and night. And my meditation practice is a part of that as well. I'm not a Buddhist, but kind of the Buddhist idea, right, is that if you're able to hold your consciousness through learning through meditation, that you can hold the consciousness line through death, kind of like lucid dreaming or something like that, right? Where you would hold your consciousness through the death process. Mm. Um, And that is something I aspire to. Now, will I attain it? I don't know, but it sounds like a worthy endeavor. Um, You know, and the idea is that those that don't just get pulled back into the cycle of samsara and you just sort of don't have a lot of choice around what happens to your soul, um, you know, after. Also, you know, I work on my karma in this life so that I, because I also don't think we get away with shit. I think that there is a reckoning that can happen. So I look at my life and I keep, working towards being more loving, more kind, more thoughtful, gentle, whatever, you know, kinds of things, um, or fierce, maybe Mm. depending on what the, you know, karmic implication is. Mm. Um, so that I don't maybe go into the next life with a whole lot of karma, which also makes me less fearful, right? Right. Less afraid of like, what am I going to have to pay for on the other side? You know, all this shitty shit that I've done to people. Um, so, you know, so I think that, you know, again, getting back to the embodiment stuff, it's just all these practices that, you know, put me in my body and just made me less afraid in general. Like yeah. the more I'm with my body, the less afraid and anxious that I am. Yeah. I hear a few things. I hear the embodiment piece, which again, like I will just keep probably every episode talking about the somatic, the miracle of, of somatic practice and psychosomatic practice, which BDSM, when we get into BDSM is going to be really fun uh, to talk about. And and I also hear another thread, which is looking at time as cyclical instead of linear. I think that that also, like I keep that's sort of the undertow of all, a lot of what you're saying to me is like, when you mentioned ancestors, I was like, oh, that's a connection to the past. That's also kind of collapsing time because you're saying, yes, these are ancestors from the past, but they also exist now. They -hmm. exist in a form now. And, you know, I remember you and I were talking when my grandmother died in 2020 about her presence being more powerful after she left her physical body. And I, I experienced that. And that was profound to experience, to really somatically, like it wasn't in my head, it wasn't a mental thing. It was just like, there's been a few times where she's come through really, really strongly, more strongly than she did um, when she was in a physical uh, vehicle vessel. So yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, this is, I think our culture is ready. I think even the US culture, although it doesn't necessarily look like it right now, I think we are hungry, um, especially younger generations of people are hungry for uh, new rituals, d- deeper rituals, more embodiment practices. Um, I, they may not know it yet, but once once they realize <laughs> that they won't, once they realize that like Instagram and TikTok don't necessarily like account for uh, how to deal with real life experiences, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> then they'll be like, we need ritual. We need ritual uh, and community. Yeah, well, ritual brings the the unmanifest manifest, right? Or the unseen, these things that we feel that are not, you know, this sort of practical world, this mundane world of things and stuff, whatever, and, um, and give us a place for that. And also creating sacred space, um, which becomes this container, again, to hold spirit, to hold ancestors, to hold liminal spaces. And, um, 
and and ritual you know again can be one of those words that people are like well i don't know where to start i don't know what to do i you know i'm overwhelmed by that if you're not witchy like us you know you probably haven't done a lot of rituals besides you know brushing your teeth every day which is a kind of ritual right absolutely um but um what is i think you know again over my many years of practice as a witch i realized that there are rituals very intuitive Um, and, and that anything that is given attention and care and is, is in the idea of bringing the unmanifest manifest Mm. or holding a space for something that can only be felt and not known per se um, is a ritual, you know? I mean, even like people, you know, intuitively will light a candle, right? And that's actually one of the rituals we kind of have left that might still have some meaning, but lighting that candle with a thought, right? With Mm. an intention. And uh, somebody said to me, or, uh, you know, not that long ago, the difference between formal ritual and intuitive ritual, which is that formal ritual is interested in form as opposed to feeling, right? Mm. So you do this, 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 in this order and blah, 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 which is what we have a lot of, right? A lot of form, but we don't have that intuitive, the substance, the meaning, the feeling in there we a lot of these rituals you know again when we talk about christianity i mean you know easter just passed most christians don't know that that's a fertility holiday and that the easter bunnies and the eggs are all about fertility you know and 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 they do these rich these formal rituals of doing easter egg hunts and blah 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 and do all of the things but they never question why or where it came from, yeah. right? And if they did, they might come up with a more meaningful ritual, mm-hmm. maybe one that actually speaks to the death of Christ, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the rebirth. I mean, that's really the only thing I think that can be sort of seen as the rebirth and mm-hmm. the fertility is at the same time because that's, you know, when Christ was supposedly re- resurrected. Um, but, um, but yeah, this, you know, again, I think it's really wonderful to, to do these intuitive rituals because what, you know, say your loved one died, you don't know, you want to come up with a ritual. Well, think about them. What did they like? What was their music? What food did they like? What, you know, maybe dress like they did, um, or, you know, do play a game they loved or, you know, or tell stories like these are rituals when we're, they're done in a way that holds it sacred and reverent. Right. Right. I love that, that you sort of already segued into my next question, which was what does an example, what is an example of you being a facilitator for a family? Like, do you have a, a, can you use a real life example of, of what that could look like just structurally and how that would be for a family? Well, again, when we look at cross-culturally, um, the the really basic rituals are bathing the body, okay. right? So, and this can be with water and soap, but it can also be with flower water or um, some sort of, you know, special water, right? Some kind of blessed water or something. Um, and then anointing the body with usually some sort of essential oils or resins or things like that. And that has both a spiritual and a practical element to it. You know, the spiritual is that these vibrational scents and like frankincense and myrrh and things that we kind of equate with these kinds of rituals 
um, have a vibrational quality that brings a certain energy into this space. Mm. It also has a practical, if there are any sense of death and decay, it kind of helps to um, soften that a little bit. Um, and, um, and these are just really simple rituals, you know, or the ritual of shrouding the body, um, or dressing the body, you know, what are you putting the body in? Um, and, and then, you know, there are myriad of other rituals around it. So maybe people write small notes and they put them in the shroud with the person, right? Little notes of like, I love you. Goodbye. I'll see you in the afterlife, whatever, you know, um, or, um, you know, everybody lighting a candle or singing songs, you know, Mm. these are ancient rituals, chants, prayers. Um, These are just ancient rituals that everybody can access and everybody could, I think, you know, do and do it in their own way. Mm. So um, yeah, those are some basic ones. I love it. And I I guess what, what comes up for me too is the I like on a very logistical note I'm like okay so I'm imagining a family just hypothetically and I'm like do you end up handling the body do you, and what is your relationship to a I don't want to use the word corpse but like a physical a body that has the life has left you know what do you mm-hmm. end up moving because I can imagine I'm just like imagining folks being a little tentative around a lifeless body or or a body that is losing life yeah and that's really where a midwife comes in you know um yes we know tricks right like things that we you know we close the mouth and wrap something around so that the mouth stays closed um you know cleaning out the mouth cleaning out the orifices um and um doing things like that that the body that the family wouldn't know how to do and may not feel comfortable doing um you know, and um, so, you know, so that's where at this point anyway, because most of us don't have the education or knowledge that someone like me or others could come in and help facilitate the practical aspects of it. Um, And then there's the icing of the body. Okay. So, you know, you can do ice packs or you can do dry ice and, um, and this helps keep the body cool enough that it doesn't decompose quickly. And, and then you can at home. And then, you know, uh, the way that I see the three, the, the three days is that the first day is immediate family mm-hmm. of grief and, and vigiling. The second day is sort of the greater family and friends. And then the third day is like the public, right? So Got maybe it. you get out of the home and then that goes, it goes to a church or it goes to a hall or take it outside or to the beach or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you can bring in the public um, people that were maybe more acquaintances or just, you know, friends of loved ones and things like that. And just another logistical question. I'm like, do, on the third day when the body is going out, have you had or have there been a myriad of experiences of like, do they have to go to a graveyard? Is, it, is that a legal thing? I'm like, do, do, do bodies have to go to a cemetery or a graveyard? Can you bury a body in a backyard? Like, I, I, I'm just like, I don't know the answer to this. Yeah, right. So there, there are multiple ways of disposing. I mean, there are becoming more and more of, um, of ways of, you know, um, interning the body. The most conventional is the one that we know, which is to embalm it. And then they put it inside of a metal casket and it's put in the ground, but not in the dirt. It's put inside of a cement box. And the reason they started this is because um, the caskets would kind of move unevenly in the ground. And then it made mowing the lawns very challenging. 
So, um, so a conventional, the body never returns to the earth, which I think is a really important thing for people to understand that body never returns to the earth. It turns into a chemical goo inside of a metal box, inside of a cement box. And that as a spiritual person actually troubles me, but I won't go too far because I don't want to scare or sadden people too much, but do think about that for themselves. And embalming is not necessary unless the body needs to be shipped somewhere. That is the only time that that embalming would be necessary. Wow. Um, and again, it's just a way for the funeral industry to make more money because it's quite expensive. Mm. And then, so um, if you didn't want a conventional burial and you wanted, uh, there are green burials. Now these are not as widely available, but they are out there. There's one here in Joshua Tree and your body would then be put directly into the ground in a shroud or a plain box. You can't have anything synthetic or not that can't biodegrade. And um, and you can decorate the the. Um, the grave with only natural objects. So no plastic flowers and things like that. Um, Now, the other ways that one can dispose of the body is um, cremation, right? right? And again, I want to restate that if you act as your own funeral director, you can bring your the body to the you know, arrange with the cemetery directly, you can arrange with the crematorium directly and bring your own person. So again, you don't have to spend thousands and thousands of dollars to have the funeral director in the middle of this. Mm. So I also see this work as social justice work because people go into pretty insane amounts of debt um, and it can completely bankrupt people um, because this process can be at minimum five grand, but probably more like 10 or 15 grand. This is what I remember. I remember these numbers and being like, this is why it's such a cash cow for the, for the, the corporate direct, the corporate funeral director people. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and then there's the classic, like, well, if you really love your loved one, you'll get this $10,000 casket, not this $2,000 casket. Right. Um, There's, there's some of that manipulation that goes on too. Now there are some new ways that the body can be um, is a, one is aquamation and there's one here near joshua tree it's a couple hours away in escondido um and they put you in like a super alkaline um fluid and it just dissolves your body and the body becomes like a highly mineral rich um liquid and the liquid can be used for plants and things like that That now cremation Wow. Cremation, on the other hand, most people think, oh, bury me under a tree. Well, do not ever cremate somebody and bury them under a tree because it will kill the tree. Mm. Um, Cremains are very toxic, actually, um, because it is not like a funeral pyre. We're not being burned. We're actually being incinerated. And so we're being incinerated with gas. Not to say that, you know, cremation is, you know, in terms of land is a better and and more affordable option, um, but it is also quite polluting. It puts mm-hmm. a lot of um, heavy metals in the air, and it's pretty toxic. Um, and then now there's Recompose. That's a new um, out of Seattle. Um, a woman by the name of Katrina Spade started it, and it's growing. And you can be composted basically in a compost bin. Sign me and up. Then- <laughs> 
And then there's one more, if you live on the coast, like if you live in LA, you can actually be buried at sea, your whole body. There's one guy who does it. It's actually quite affordable also. And they wrap you in a cotton shroud and you go five miles out and they slip you into the sea. And they give your be- your family the GPS coordinates so that they can go visit you if they want to. That is so um, sweet. All the water, all the water signs out there. Uh, speaking as a Cancer Pisces, I am loving this right now. Well, I'm glad you brought up that element thing because I, as a witch, started realizing that the ways that we can, um, you know, go back to the earth are through the elements, right? So you could go to the water, you can be burned, fire, you can be buried, earth, earth, and an air sign like me. The two that are my favorite ideas is one is to be eaten by birds. Because (gasps) I was going to ask you how you wanted to go. This was my next question. Sky burial. Ah, sexy. I mean, it's a, it's a fantasy. It is not, you know, the only place I think it actually happens is in Tibet in the, you know. Um, My friend actually just described to me because they spent a lot of time in Tibet. They described to me, they actually, I think were working or helping facilitate a temple in Tibet and they had to do a couple, they had to help or at least witness a couple sky burials. And they were like, I mean, I when they described the birds eating the body and what they have to do to prepare the body for the bird, I think you have to like really rip the, you might know more about sky burials. They rip the body. I, open, I don't right? know that much, but the, the, yeah, they open it up and then the vultures come and they eat it, which I just love. I love knowing that like my flesh is living in another living being that that's totally up my alley. Oh, so um, the other way it. that an air sign like me is if I moved to New Orleans and I was put in one of their, the vaults in New Orleans because the body just dries out and becomes dust. So that would be the other air. air sign. Oh, I love that. Both of which I really, I mean, I'm an Aquarius stellium. I'm like, sign me up. I'll take a sky burial or a water burial. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would take the pyre if it, now there's one place in the U S that you can be burned in a pyre, but only if you live there and that's in Crestone, Colorado. Okay. And they have the only legal pyre where they put you on and put branches on you and people come and dance and sing prayers and things like that around your actual burning body that also, or as a, I'm, you know, I'm part Norse Viking. So, you know, I heard, I just read that in Maine, they're actually allowing Viking funerals of some sort. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's, you know, cremains or it's an actual body. I have to look into it a little bit more, but Viking burials are, you know, known as they put you on a boat, again, filled with branches and things, and they light you on fire and send you out into the water. Epic. Look at us eighth house sons talking about death. I'm just getting so excited. I'm like, yeah, (laughs) sign me up. This is so exciting. But, you know, these are things that people, you know, we need to think about because, you know, uh, when we die, we want to make sure that we're going in the way that we want to, to the best of the ability of, you know, our wishes, that our wishes, wishes, wishes can actually be actualized. So I actually have two death plans. I have my fantasy death plan and I have my, if I die tomorrow. Um, Oh my God. You are, I love how you're like, I fully have a contingency plan. Here I go. I love it. You're like, I'm on two different timelines. I'm ready. I'm prepared. Will you share them with the audience? I would love to know. If not, that's totally fine as well. Well, you know, my fantasy funeral, I've also done a lot of history with my um, ancient ancestors and the Etruscans, um, because I'm also part Italian, had orgiastic rituals. Um, (laughs) 
And the idea was that they were, because inside the tombs are all these sexual um, depictions. And um, the idea that is believed is that they would get into orgasmic states to help the body or the soul transfer over into the other world. So they became psychopomps for, for the soul. Um, so that's what I, I want. Um, this is so my... interesting because I sent you that video about the Egyptians and it sounds very similar to what the ancient Egyptians were doing, like se- sexual siren psychopomps in the tombs while the kings and queens were dying. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. Well, and it's this, you know, it is that eighth house stuff, right? Sex, death, rebirth, sex, yep. death, rebirth. I mean, it's like, you know, um, and, uh, and so, and then I want my body, I want my friends to carve runes into my flesh. Mm. Um, and I want to, you know, um, either be burned or buried or put in the water with um, certain herbs and, um, and crystals and things like that, that will help my soul find its way across the borderlands. Um, and then if I die tomorrow, because I live here in Joshua Tree, I want to be buried in the green burial here, yeah. actually, because um, I love it here so much. And the idea of just, you know, being here with the elements for eternity or my body. And also, I think the body would just dry out here. I don't think you get eaten by worms. I think you create mm-hmm. kind of an air burial in the ground because it's so hot and dry. So we, pro- my guess is that the body's just turned to dust. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Oh, my gosh. So my final question for you, that this was, I just got so riled up after that. I'm loving it. Um, my eighth house son, I'm just like, yes, tell me about the death. Uh, so my final question, and again, we could really touch on this also in our second conversation mm-hmm. that we're about to have about um, BDSM and death, but I would love to talk a little bit, maybe five, 10 minutes about queerness and death. And, you know, mm-hmm. as you and I, we both identify as queer um, and what that means and and how queer people maybe are like death doulas in and of themselves, especially trans people, but any, and, you know, any kind of person that identifies as, as uh, outside of uh, heterosexual uh, binary, that's also uh, coded in whiteness. So yeah, I would love to hear about, you know, queerness, death and and shamanism as a death practice. Mm. Well, I want to just say first that for me, queerness just means out of convention. Mm. So we just are like thinking differently, right? Mm. We want different things because we also, as kind of marginal people, we look in and see all of the the dysfunction happening. Um, And we get to question the dysfunction because we don't, we're not allowed into it in a sense anyway. So we get to be like, well, I'm glad you're not letting me in because that's fucked up anyway. Um, But, um, and then in terms of what you were saying, you know, particularly, you know, trans people, people with, you know, two or three spirit people, right, Um, were often the shamans, the priests, um, the, those that cared for um, the spiritual aspects of, of, you know, life in the culture. And, um, and I do see a lot of queer people interested in, you know, death work. Um, I think that queerness is a liminal state of being, right? Um, And death is a liminal, you know, it's, it's liminal, not just for the person that's dying for, but for those that are around kind of get in this liminal spaced out, like, uh, what's real? How do I eat? You know, kind of like, you know, like that kind of a place. And we know how to navigate those spaces um, 
you know, again, speaking generally, uh, more than people that are in the sort of heteronormative constructs and that are fully assimilated in that way. Um, and that liminal spaces can be very disconcerting because, you know, their life has been so like, this is the way it is. And we're kind of like, yeah, not really, but okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, and then I think the other piece of queerness and death that I, you know, is, is not as sort of spiritual and theoretical as we're talking about, but the practical side is that as queer people, we need to get very clear with our death plans because we may, our if we die tomorrow and we didn't make clear and legal death plans, we could go back to a family who does not honor mm. our queerness, our mm. transness, our mm. real names, our chosen, you know, or our, you know, felt gender. Um, and we may be very disrespected and dishonored in those last and final moments. Wow. And it's happened over and over and over and over again. Wow. Right. Wow. So, um, but, um, and do yeah. you help, do you help people make legal death plans? Is that part of the practice for you as well? Like showing them the legality of, of how to prepare That themselves? is not a strength of mine. Um, yeah. And that's what's beautiful about the midwifery umbrella is you get to figure out where your strengths are. Yeah. And my strengths are really around education and ritual. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I know people that can help people with the legal aspects of it. Right. And not from just a lawyer kind of perspective, but from a more, again, a more meaningful or spiritual kind of way. Mm -hmm. um, and, but the, you know, the death plan can be more than, so most people will be like, oh, I have a death plan. I know I'm gonna be cremated. I have a will and I have an advanced health directive, right? But that doesn't mean like, what am I wearing? What's the music? Who's handling my body? Where am I being? You know, where am I going? How is, how am I being honored or not? You know, and these are the things that I actually do do with people. And I'm in the process. Was it you that told me about the Google doc with your friend? Maybe it was a different friend. Mm. So I, um, somebody was telling me about a, a trans friend of theirs who has a Google doc. And I'm so in right now, I'm in the process of sort of transferring mine to a Google Doc and creating a template for people. Because what I like about a Google Doc or say another living document, right, yes. where you can just go in and change it yourself. Yes. And those that you've sent it to will get the revised version. You won't have to keep Updated. sending it. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Because, you know, you, you might think, oh, I'm done. And then you're like, shit, I just remembered I want to do X, Y, Z, or I don't want these things. So that that kind of planning is more, again, my my strength around thinking about all of the like sort of I, I don't want to call them non-practical but less mundane kinds of things and more spiritual and um and bringing more meaning and more of the person's personality into these experiences yeah and to tie that all up like what I hear you saying is that you know i think an audience question would be like well why are, why why would you want to spend so much time going over the minutia like i think people are really afraid of death so they're like oh i don't want to be thinking about my death that much while i'm alive right there's that sort of like oh i don't want to deal with that and and you said it earlier like oh the family's gonna have to deal with it often often the family ends up dealing with all these details and i think one thing that to me is powerful especially to think about this year is taking accountability for your body in a very profound way including its passage including and acknowledging that there will be a passage, taking personal accountability for that passage. And that, in an, what you said, I'm going to just kind of echo what you said earlier. It actually allows you, I think, personally, I'm making an argument here, and I think you share this argument with me. It makes you feel more alive. 
when you have done the detailed work and been like this, and not only does it make you feel more alive in this embodiment, I think it actually helps, like you said earlier, sort of navigate processing the karma that each one of us has to process in this lifetime and, and acknowledging, okay, this is what I learned in this lifetime. This is what I'm learning in this lifetime. This is what I know I need to transform in this lifetime. And having uh, getting into the granular details of, of the passing process of, of the liminal space between life and death to me is a, a really, I think kind of brave. I think it's, I think the work you do is brave. Like I really do. I, I'm starting to think about, oh my God, handling a body and, and all these things. And I'm like, this is really like, I mean, eighth house son, like not afraid to look at the quote unquote taboo parts of life, but also transferring or transforming any residual stuck energy that happens with fear, that happens with anger, that happens with unprocessed grief. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I love that you bring that up because it really is like the more that work that you do, the more of a gift it is to your loved ones is really major. I mean, because they're, they're grieving and now they have to make decisions that you probably should have made, right? And I'll talk from a personal experience with the loved one that died eight years ago. He didn't want to talk about it. He was 37. He was dying of a brink. You know, he just kept thinking he was going to get better. He just was in such deep denial. But there was one point um, after someone from palliative care, and we had a conversation, I recorded it. And I asked him, you know, what do you, what do you want? And he detailed this, like, he's like, I want a sophisticated, like, um, like cocktail party. And I want my friends, cause he had a lot of musician friends. I want them to play. And, and so I was able to do that because that's what I knew. And it was such a beautiful ceremony. It was so meaningful to his friends. We just, we had this candlelight procession from it to his, where he's interned in Hollywood Forever Cemetery. And then they, we sang um, mm -hmm. at his, at his little niche in the mausoleum. And I mean, that just like, again, like what it gave me as a gift to be able to know I was able to fulfill his wishes and give him the send off that, that reflected what he saw for himself was, I just can't express how meaningful that was. And if I would have just had to come up with all of that on my own, I wouldn't have come up with that necessarily, right? And, and just knowing, and I could feel him there that night so deeply, you know, just like so pleased that all these people gathered in his honor and had so many lovely things, you know, in the stories or whatever. So, so it's this, it's this gift of like unburdening people with the logistical aspects yes. and then giving them the gift of honoring your wishes is just, I, you know, yeah, can't say enough about it. I, I love it. And, and it makes me think that when you're talking, it makes me think of the Irish wake in that way. And then also uh, for, for Judaism, you know, uh, sitting Shiva and, and doing the yes. Kaddish, reciting the Kaddish um, as these ways. And, and there's a lot of ritual in, across the world that these moments of, of coming, to, you know, apart, another thing, you're an Aquarius. So it's so much about a community. So you're mm -hmm. saying not only ritual, which is the eighth house, but you're saying Aquarius community, like, let's get together, let's get together and like acknowledge that this person, and yes, that happens, quote unquote, in funeral homes. But what if it's even like, more ritualized, more embodied, and and to, again, echo you to more, more feeling more intuitive rather than formal. Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, one last thing that I want to say and kind of to round back to the death cafe and my Aquarian nature, um, that these death cafes are already starting what I was hoping, which is community death care network. Mm. So again, we know who's around, who will sit with the body or the, the, the dying, who's there, who's great with paperwork, who wants to do X, Y, Z, instead of, again, outsourcing all this stuff that we actually start to create. And that's really the term community death care, which is used a a lot within the in the you know uh this midwifery area um is again bringing people together so that we support each other also because it's so it's so hard it's we cannot grieve alone we cannot handle this alone um it's it's just too much to bear and when we bear it together then we thrive in it and we can find like the comfort and support that we need this is, I think, your work, and I'm so grateful for your work, and I'm so excited to watch your work evolve over the next, you know, however many years. And I think this this work you're doing is one part of the many ways in which we are like shifting into a post-capitalist space, and a lot of that has to do with the Aquarian signature, which is community mm -hmm. and like authentic community and, and making space for people, all different kinds of people, because we universally experience death. This is a universal mm -hmm. thing. No one gets out That's of this. Right. <laughs> no. So this is, out of this one. Yeah. Um, and the only way out is through. That's a Starhawk quote. Except for, I guess, the out people out there that want to like put their brain in some, I don't know, tank. And pick your brain, <laughs> I mean, which does not appeal to me at all let That's me go when it's time when it's my time to go i hope that this has some meaning and and um for people out there listening and make you think have them think a little differently about their own death and maybe those that are maybe they have someone dying in their life right now and these challenging conversations and um yeah. and i am available out there and there's many people that you can find um and i will just plug the homefuneralalliance.org yeah. yes they're an incredible organization they have so much information videos resources etc i just cannot say enough about that organization so um and it's not just about home funerals but about the death and dying process and each state and their um their different laws and lack of laws and whatever so that's just a place for people to go to find yeah homefuneralalliance.org i will link it in the show notes Great. Um, will you also let folks know how to get in touch with you, um, and, and your services? That would be sure. Um, you can find me at sacred-undertaking.com. That's my website for, um, the little organization that I have sacred undertaking, which is an education advocacy and ministry project, um, on Instagram at sacred undertaking and on Instagram at queer death collective. Uh, those are two places that you can find me, but there are many people out there doing this work. So, you know, I, I, I really recommend people looking around for people that are in their area mm. or people that have an, if they have an affinity, right? So if you have a religious or spiritual affinity, you know, looking for people that are within that affinity and, um, but really, you know, who is around you, like, find out now who's the doulas who what, what ways is there a green burial place how is there a cremation spot you know um is there a death care community going on is there a death cafe in my area you know these kinds of things that again we can start building these supports 
um, on a really foundational level and a local level. And as you know, capitalism will continue to fail us. Yeah. Um, we we can we can be in a position to not fail one another, right? And um, and be there and fill in and and come back to our roots. You know, come back to who who we once were. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Anastasia. I appreciate everything. This conversation is so exciting. I'm really looking forward to our second conversation about BDSM, sex and death. That's going to be really juicy as well. And uh, thank you all for listening. This is the World of Rex, and we will catch you next week. Bye.